Welcome to Soccer 101 and an episode where we get into the concept of chants and songs at soccer games. When did this practice start? How's it evolved? Why are lots of them naughty? And what have been the high notes and the bum tunes heard in stadiums around the world? My name's Ryan Bailey and I first have to say, we love you Taylor, we do. We love you Taylor, we do. We love you Taylor, we do. Taylor, we love you. Hello Taylor. Hello, that was magical. And also, I feel like you maybe had like a few cans of lager before doing it. And then now you're right back to your sober self. But you got the drunken intonation in there. And that is well done, my friend. I'm embarrassed to say I actually have my arms up in the air and like emphasizing the notes as well as I would do if I were in the stands. I'm I'm not embarrassed to say that. I'm proud to say that. You should be. You should be proud. Yeah, you don't need to be embarrassed about raising your arms. I was ready for you to be like, I did actually get drunk. That would be more of a problem. Okay. Ready for this one? Now also here. No, 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 Graham Rutherford, Graham Rutherford, how are you? Uh, I mean, that, that that was wonderful. I was expecting some sort of uh, filthy anti-Scottish chant in there, so I'm quite thankful for that and how I didn't have to sing, you're getting sacked in the morning, sacked in the morning. <sighs> We could have some fun with this episode, I imagine. Listener, oh, please be boy. prepared for all of us to be singing badly at various points. I should warn you. So, chants, singing, um, means of generating noise and an atmosphere at games. I think that's the purpose <laughs> we can agree if I was going to look at Webster's Taylor. Um, you yeah. know, showing support, taunting your rivals. And the tradition seems to go back to the oral folk song, the singing communally, you know, transmitting mm. um, tales through oral tradition. It's that kind of vibe that you get from it. And I think it's quite an odd thing when you think about it and maybe going back a few decades for thousands of repressed men to stand and sing in front of one another. Which leads me, Graham, to the origin of chanting, which according <laughs> to some of my notes may just have been Scotland. Yep. I mean, we invented pretty much everything about football and then England took it from us. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was also reading about that, how uh, football chanting origi- or, uh, originated sorry, as war cries and how the first recorded example of this was in Scotland. And I thought, yeah, that figures. <laughs> I'm not sure chanting has moved on that much beyond war cries in Scottish football. Um, we haven't We haven't developed much beyond that. Yeah, what I, was, what I could see sort of late 19th century in Scotland was where things kind of began. And one of the first examples, a little further away from Scotland in Norwich, on the Ball City, which um, if you look on YouTube, there's plenty of versions with musical accompaniments, which is fun. Taylor, what did you find about the origins of chanting? Uh, I think uh, Daryl Grove would be happy to know that uh, by all accounts that I read, the first organized chant written down was by fa- a famed composer, Edward uh, Elgar. I know we all know him, his his many <laughs> rip-roaring tunes, sure. uh, written about uh, wolves inside right back Billy Malpass. Uh, I guess it was, uh, he banged the leather for the goal, was the headline in the newspaper. Uh, Elgar, I guess, thought that was a very catchy thing to <laughs> sing or, or to say, and so he wrote a tune about it, and that became a song but it didn't gain major traction and i think ryan you are correct that the uh the norwich one is the one that seems to get a lot of the credit for being the first chant but i also think you're correct in pointing out uh and graham as well that like when you're looking at the history of when groups come together they get loud and tend to like chant things that feels like it goes back to like the 
people living in caves era. So I think like it, it makes sense that you would get chanting whenever you get large groups of people together, especially large groups of drunken men, uh, which would have been the, the situation then and now. Uh, but I think it's interesting to see how they sort of evolved and how they grew and how like one group of fans would hear something and like it. And then suddenly that became theirs and then it became somebody else's. Then it spread and became global. I think it's really interesting to track some, sort of the history and the spread of some of these chants. Uh, Taylor, just to pick up on something, it's Sir Edward Elgar to you. I apologize. Don't be disrespectful to a knight of the realm. Uh, <laughs> and also, according to Wikipedia, he wrote an anthem called He Banged the Leather for Gold, which didn't catch on, which is a shame because that's an awesome title for a, for a child. Do, do you ever wonder, I wonder this every time I, I, I think about someone being knighted, is like where that comes from historically do you ever think, like, if you brought back, like, Crusader Knights, they'd be like, who was knighted? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just don't think I, – I like the way it's gone because I feel like people should be knighted for artistic achievement. But, like, how it started versus how it's going is a very different story. <laughs> Indeed. So the, the alternate chance have got, gone back a very long way and spread a very long distance. But, gents, when I think of the origins of chanting, and if, if I was to picture it in my mind, what do I see – is the 1960s and then maybe late 1950s, but early 1960s to mid 1960s, and like the cop. And if you go on YouTube, you and you can um, you can watch um, uh, fans on the cop singing Beatles songs. Like literally, there's videos of them singing "She Loves You." Nothing to do with soccer, but it's mm-hmm. this celebration of Liverpudlian culture that they had the Mersey Beat, they had the Beatles, they had like Jerry and the Pacemakers, who obviously you know, with "You'll Never Walk Alone" being an anthem of theirs still to the day. So quite often, chanting can reach uh, its origins, at least Graham can reach beyond praising players on the field. Yeah, I think I think to be honest, those are the best examples of yep. songs and anthems and chants. There's there's a bit of blurred lines there because obviously not all anthems are chants and not all chants are anthems and and so on. But yeah, absolutely. And for me, chanting and and singing and and soccer is a real um, idiosyncrasy of the game. It's something that marks it out from from other sports. Yes, I know there is there's singing and chanting at other sports and there's noisy atmospheres, but it tends to be quite generic. Whereas in soccer, chanting is rich with meaning and history and most most clubs kind of have some some form of uh of of an anthem i mean whether it's you'll never walk alone which is an anthem for celtic liverpool Borussia dortmund countless clubs really around the world you know you have Z cars which i guess is more of an anthem than a chant given that i don't think it has any lyrics which uh, everton play as they walk out at, at goodison park or um, as spurs play before their players walk out at their new stadium the theme tune for the phantom menace uh, which I'm Duel not here fates? to judge. Is it Duel of the Fates? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think okay. so. It's the that's one fine. that kind of goes. That's Duel of the Fates. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. That one's acceptable. I mean, I'm not here to judge. I just think all those all those kind of examples they they just add a little bit more to the 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 tapestry of our game, if I can call it that. I always appreciate Graham saying I'm not here to judge. Well, very much seeming to have the tone of judging. And, and to be clear, Graham, Z cars or Z cars, if you were going with an American slot, was a like an, a 70s TV show, was it not? And they yeah, just took the theme right, tune yeah. from it pretty much, like pretty randomly. And that's that leads me to sort of the melodies and tunes that are used in chants, because the sources of, of the melodies are so disparate and so random. So you'll get, for example, church hymns like, you know, you're not singing, you're not singing anymore. Like that's like Guide Me, O Thou Great Redeemer, if I'm not mistaken. And you'll get... Opera, you'll get opera mm-hmm. sort of um, standards uh, as, as a basis for chants. Uh, folk songs, like Blade and Races, something they sing 
uh, Newcastle. You know, that comes from the folk tradition, and they've just adapted lyrics to, to make it Newcastle-centric, of course. And then you go um, further into the, into the present, and you get pop songs. And, you know, I, I sung uh, Hey Jude in honor, mm-hmm. honor of Graham Rudman at the top of this show. And obviously, they're the Beatles. You can understand everybody knows Hey Jude. Everybody knows that melody. And then you get some strange ones. Like Go West. The Pet Shop Boys is not one nil to the arsenal. It's like, Go West. Like, how did that come about? And it gets even more interesting, to, uh, Taylor, when you consider, like, Will Griggs on Fire. Yeah. When it's That's a good one. 90s Europop, Free yeah. from Desire by Gala. And another one on that note, by the way, it's just, just come to me. Do you remember when they did the Colo and Yaya Torre song at Colo. Man City? Colo, Colo. Yep. So that was two unlimited Dutch techno band, which not many wow. people who aren't my age <laughs> yeah. realize. Um, That's so weird. So it's, 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 what I find strange is which melodies are latched onto and which ones people... Because they have to be instantly identifiable mm-hmm. for everybody to join in. And for Freed from Desire by Gala to be as, you know, as recognized as a Beatles <laughs> song or an opera um, standard or, you know, something from the church... That's fascinating to me. Also, something yeah. else I'll say, I've been speaking for a long time, Taylor, but something yeah, but- else that fascinates me is how many chants from British soccer, at the very least, have a US melody. Like, Stars and Stripes Forever is used as a melody. Glory, Glory, yeah, Man United. That. Glory, Who Glory, Man that? United, Battle Him and the Republic from the American Civil War. Saints go marching in, jazz standard. So there's lots of stuff that, like that that's very, very interesting to me, Taylor. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think that was the thing that I, I really enjoyed seeing and then found very confusing at times, which I'm, I'm interested to hear you all thoughts on as we get towards like the more modern era. But it makes a lot of sense that going back to the, the, like the hymnal or the hymns and, and sort of opera standards, such as they were in like the late 1800s into the early 20th century, Again, that would be what people knew, right? So if you want people to sing along to a song, all they have to do is sort of learn the generally very basic lyrics. They already know the melody, so everybody can pick it up pretty quickly. And so then it's interesting to see almost – it tends to be like a couple years behind that you can see – the style's changing and suddenly jazz is more involved and there's a bunch of different ones and then you get more pop and more rock and then it kind of moves on from there to more electronic and now there are still the ones that I like – I was trying to find a way to be sort of charitable with this because I don't want to, I don't know, attack anyone's musical choices. But there are some today that are like the 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 sort of mixtape that I don't need to hear because I saw that Barry Manilow, Rod Stewart and Tom Jones are still uh, frequently utilized uh, before games and in chants. And I don't know if that speaks to their enduring popularity in England, but I did find it confusing some of what stuck and some of what moved on. Yeah, that's what's fascinating. I mean, you can understand a church hymn, you know, being pretty, mm. pr- pretty recognized. But when it comes yeah. to, you know, I don't know, a Tom Jones, I suppose Tom Jones is pretty recognized. Yeah, well, well, yeah, I think, Ryan, to what you were talking about, like, that's where I also think the sort of microness of certain songs, like, makes a lot of sense. And it's not like, like, I think a lot of people know Joy Division or New Order. But one of my favorite chants growing up, I don't really love Ryan Giggs these days. I don't really like Ryan Giggs at all these days. But... Like he was a player that I that, that I loved to watch when he was uh, in his pomp, and there was the "Gigs Will Tear You Apart," which is set to "Love Will Tear You Apart" by Joy Division, yeah. who are obviously a, a very influential Manchester band. So mm. I like when the even like local music becomes a part of the chants of the songs that are sung. That feels really really appropriate, and I think also endures, which is why that song still gets sung again less so these days. I I personally think it's 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 um. You know, not, not to be dismissive in any way, but I, I think it's it's quite simple in that 
a lot of the songs they will take something that is current at that time and then the chants will take on a life of their own and then when you get modern interpretations of that chant of of that song it's not really an interpretation of the song it's an, an an interpretation of the chant that everyone knows so i'm thinking of you know um slip john b by the beach boys is is used for countless chants including the uh, the famine song in Scotland, which is a sectarian song sung about Irish immigrants, which I'm probably not going to sing that one, uh, at least uh, not on air. And uh, yeah, so th- this this there, you know that one gets used for um, what's the one about? I-, I want to go home, you know, I want to go home, I want to go home. This is the worst trip I've ever been on. And then that that got used for like he scores when he wants, Jamie Vardy, he scores when he wants, or you could replace any player's name with with another player's name there. And so that that isn't really coming from Sloop John B. That's coming from like the, the chants that everyone knows. And then the more current ones, you'll pick up like Seven Nation Army, which has to be the most chanted pop song of all time. Um, hmm. Italian fans picked that up for the, I think the 2006 World Cup. Yeah, it's now chanted by Atletico Madrid fans and countless fans around the world to the to the point where Jack White says that 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 song doesn't belong to him anymore. He feels like he doesn't actually have ownership of it anymore. So I think it's just. Um, you know, fans. Fans tend to bounce off of other fans, even different uh, different fan bases. You know, I'm thinking Liverpool were singing that "Ale Ale Ale" song when they were when the Champions champ, uh, when they won the Champions League that season. Then the next season, there was countless other fan bases using that chant. So yeah, it tends to all be quite derivative of something else. Do you all? Do you all like? Does that bother you at all? I've always wondered that about fan bases because I remember again just watching Manchester United and hearing the songs for Wayne Rooney, for example, that which is problematic these days but uh like that song but then hearing that same melody elsewhere and being like wait they stole that one and then it only occurred to me like years later that maybe they didn't steal it maybe man united stole it and maybe that's how it goes it's not a man united centric world but like is there are there certain things that you feel like are basically sacrosanct that can't be sung or can't be used by others because even you'll never walk alone is obviously sung by celtic and i think other clubs around the world, the pause down celebration that City fans used to do. I don't know if they still do, but like that obviously comes from Lech Pazdan. So I think like there are certain cases when it is okay or isn't that big of a deal, and then a lot of it is sort of the tune becomes standardized, and then everybody picks it up and makes it their own. Are there any that you think sort of can only be sung by one club or one fan base? I, th- I think um, You Never Walk Alone has probably... Uh, it's sung by more than one club, of course, mm. but I don't think Man United are going to be singing it anytime. For example. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, or Rangers. But like, it, I think I don't think there's a Good sense point. of ownership in the melodies mm-hmm. necessarily, though. When particularly when you're adapting the lyrics for your own team, an example of being my team, FC Wimbledon, um, we sing a version of Blade and Races. Um, which you very much associate with Newcastle. I want to slow that down for for Americans. He is saying Bladen, B L A Y D O N, and then races. Bladen uh, because races. It, it sounds a little bit when you say it fast, like you are saying blatant racism. <laughs> and I just want to be very <laughs> clear that you're not saying we sing songs about blatant racism. That happened in the '60s, less so now. We do not do that. I can assure <laughs> you. Um, but yeah, blatant races, which is I suppose came from a race meet back in the day, um, mm. and. Uh, we sing a version of that with adapted lyrics for us, and there's no beef about that kind of thing. I think it comes from this sort of old tradition songbook sharing of melodies, this folk tradition kind of thing. I think that that spirit lives through. Is that fair to say, Graham? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I, I, I think ideally at its, at its heart, you want something that's easy to remember, something that can be adapted in a number of ways, something you can easily add lyrics to. So you're probably not going to get kind of many math rock tunes and football chants but any what math rock math rock that's a genre like foals originally counted themselves as math rock 
Okay. You could hear the confidence go out of Graham's voice there. <laughs> Is that like okay. nerd rock? It's yeah. like very intricate, like very intricate, uh, like riffs, like very okay. difficult to oh, like pin down as a melody. And Foles became like more pop towards the like more recently. I don't know if listeners know of Foles, but like originally, yeah, they were writing them down. Math rock band. But anyway, yeah, you you want something that's easy to remember, and I think the best example. Sorry to change the subject, yeah, uh, slightly, Ryan, but the best example of a uh, a pop song turned chant, I think, and as as three lines by the Lightning Seeds, uh, Bad Deal and, and Skinner, and that. It's literally got a chant in the song that's yeah. so easy to like. You don't have to adapt that in any way. It, it can. Go, it's a chart song, but it's also a terrace song. And yeah, for me, it's it's like the perfect a chant slash anthem. It does both jobs very very well. I concur. On that note, should we take a very quick little break? Um, we've got advertising responsibilities. We've got advertising responsibilities, and so on. We'll be back with more after this short break. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies that know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, 10, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR customers, and more all in one place. And perhaps as importantly, it does it very quickly. Slow works if you are on vacation or if you're a sloth. If you're a sloth, slow is sort of your nature. If you're a cheetah, Not so much. And if you want the cheetah of financial systems, then NetSuite by Oracle is the way to go. You can automate your processes and close your books in no time, no matter how big your business grows. And it's worth noting, 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control since switching to NetSuite. Right now, special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to netsuite.com slash sports right now. Get special financing at netsuite.com slash sports. One more time, netsuite.com slash sports. Soccer 101, welcome back. We are talking songs, we are talking chants. I'd like to darken the mood slightly, gents, if that's all right. I'd like to talk about when chants go bad, uh, the negative side of this thing. I mean, let's be fair, over the years we have seen bad chanting, we've seen politically charged chanting, anti-Semitic chanting. Uh, I'm thinking uh, uh, Tottenham having chants about going to Rome and see the Pope, that kind of thing, racist chanting, mm-hmm. uh, hateful stuff. What <laughs> One of the things that always got me, there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of taunting of opposition in chants. And that's not, that's not a great thing, let's be honest about that. But the one that we always used to hear back in the day, well, and certainly in, in uh, the area I grew up was, you're going home in a London ambulance. And I thought, okay, it's threatening, but nobody goes home in an ambulance. You go to the hospital in an ambulance. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Anyway, um, <laughs> and then you've got things like uh, ten, 10 German Bombers, which England fans disappointingly still sing, sort of yeah. um, 10 Green Bottles, a nursery rhyme that's been adapted to be a bit xenophobic and nationalistic. And then there's, there's these little things. I think I mentioned this on the Total Soccer Show recently about I'm, I'm concerned to bring my children to Wimbledon games who are six and eight years old because of the example that some of the chanting sets. So I was at a game the other day where the manager of the opposing team was a, a rotund gentleman. He, he had a few extra pounds on him. And all the chants are who ate all the pies and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that doesn't sit very well in 2021 with, you know, that, that's fat shaming, essentially. That's, that's judging someone by their appearance. And that's the kind of thing that it's interesting because you can see how there was racism in the past. There was hateful stuff in the past that's not acceptable now. That kind of thing, I think, really should be phased out as well. 
Um, Graham, you, you obviously in, in Scotland, you inferred this earlier that there's a lot of politically charged yeah. stuff going on as well. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously stuff happens everywhere, but um, you know, I, I think this is something I have a lot of uh, personal experience in, given the way that, that Scottish football is. And I think it's important to note two clubs in particular, let's be honest with this, Celtic, Celtic and Rangers, um, that rivalry, the, the songs and chants that are sung at those matches, they, they don't have anything to do with soccer at all. In fact, if you went to an old firm derby, you'd be lucky to hear a chant or a song about something that was soccer related. And, and indeed, sectarian singing is a, is a real problem, not just at those matches, but it, it happens, let's be honest about it, it happens every single week. It's it's something that the clubs have tried to eradicate. I'm not sure they will they will ever be able to. It seems like a, a really deep-rooted cultural and societal issue. It's been that way for as 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 long as I can remember. And... Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a stain on our game, and and it, it is an utterly, utterly dominant subject. Every single month, there is there is a story um, that breaks through, and as I say, it happens every single week. And um, yeah, I wish it wasn't the case. It's, it's something we could certainly do without. Grant, what is like? I'm assuming you've been to an old firm derby yes. or a few. Like, mm-hmm. what is the this vibe, week. the atmosphere in? That? <laughs> what is the atmosphere in that stadium? Because I think. For me, like I grew, like I read about the old firm derby and about the like the sectarian clashes and how tense it was. But when you're not experiencing it, it becomes this almost like, oh, that sounds really cool. It sounds like it would be really yeah. interesting to get to hear that and see that. And I remember even to an extent, like hearing songs about the troubles and then talking to British people about that and realizing like they do not want to talk about that. That is not a thing that is of any interest to them because it reminds them of a very dark period. But for a person who didn't experience it, I think that lived in experience like like isn't there. And so to me, it's just like, oh, it's an interesting history. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting sort of like rivalry between the two. Whereas I think I'm assuming if you've lived it, if you've experienced it, it is less interesting and more so intimidating and mildly frightening. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely frightening in cases. I think it still can be, um, choose my words carefully here. I think it can still be interesting while still being something you wish wasn't a, mm-hmm. wasn't a thing, wasn't around. Um, that's how I would describe it. I think there's a lot of cultural nuance, nuance and societal nuance, and there's a lot of debate about which songs are sectarian and which aren't. And obviously, people use that debate to blur things to their own advantage so they can sing the hateful songs that they want to sing so you have to keep your wits about you in, in that sort of discussion but yes I've been to old firm games I've been to I've been to old firm games at Celtic I've been to old firm games at Rangers and I've been to one at Hamden as well and that was the one that was that was the I remember being quite uh, scared in that environment because the press box is between the two sides so Hamden obviously if you're a, if you're a Celtic or a Rangers game the the majority of the stadium is 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 home fans so you, you can only get one side of it which in a weird way diffuses the situation slightly just because it's so one-sided whereas if you go to Hamden it's half and half and the press box is in the middle of those two halves and fans are throwing things over the press box and, sh- and shouting things and just so much venom as well between the two sets of fans and that was a very uncomfortable experience and a lot of the the chanting has has, has a role to play in that I, some of the uh, Ryan kind of went through some of the names of um, controversial or offensive chants. I I couldn't go through some of the names of the Celtic yeah. Rangers chants be- because we would get censored and thrown off air. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> that's how bad they are, and and they really are pretty hate filled, and they've got nothing to do with football. And um, but I just I don't know how we're going to end this situation. It's 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 very deep rooted. Yeah, 
And it probably is. It pro- sorry, like it probably is. I guess again, speaking as an outsider, I think where you do probably have to have more of a zero tolerance approach because, like Ryan, to your point about who ate all the pies. Like, that is a thing that you can just sort of say about anybody who's slightly heavy. And the, and it stood out to me because for the longest time, I thought the Man United chant about Rafa Benitez was kind of hilarious, the fat Spanish waiter, because there was a time when that is kind of what he looked like. And and it felt like, oh, it's it's clever. It's not just saying he's overweight. It's, like, really specifically describing him. But then... Like, I think about it, it, like, presently, and I I like Rafa Benitez, and it is sort of like, that is, like, not a thing that you probably need to be singing, and there's, it does, it probably is the slippery slope argument into, like, once you start singing one very specifically negative thing about one person, you can probably go go down that road pretty quickly, so maybe it should just be songs in favor of your club, as opposed to against the other one. I think... To, to my shame, Taylor, when we talk about Man United chants, I used to be amused by the Park Ji Sung chant because yeah. not but not because of you know the, the, mm-hmm. well because it's it's quite against Liverpool fans. It's 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 quite insulting to them. That was what amused me about it. And then when you actually listen to the whole thing, you're like, oh, it's super racist. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so and, and and also very classist. If I remember the right. lyrics of that about Liverpool, which yeah. is not ideal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, there's that one too. Is it the Hubcaps one? So the so the 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 G, the Jason part one does it not make reference to council houses? And... Yes, it does, and, and the consumption of certain rodents within. Yeah, uh, yes. I don't know that one. I I only know the other problematic Jason Park one. Oh boy. Yeah, Let's talk more about that, Taylor. I was going to say <laughs> yeah. um, the. Um... Well, I think, but that's that, that's like that's what I think we're, we're we're sort of that is like an important conversation. I think not to just kind of keep listing offensive songs, but to point out how many of them, like how many songs that I remember. Like I didn't sing because I was like sitting alone in my living room watching games, but I remember being sung and thinking at the time, like, "Oh, that's cool that they have a song about that player." And then you see it for from from that player's perspective, and they're probably like enjoy having a song. But when there are stereotypes about Asian people included in that song, it becomes more yeah. of a just like, "Oh, it's not really even about that person anymore. It's about like the crowd amusing themselves almost at the expense of the player." And that I think manifests more recently as Man United fans singing the Lukaku song about the size of his uh, oh, genitalia, that was a bad one, yeah. and him yeah. saying like, "Yeah, I don't really need that song sung, even if it's theoretically a compliment. It's still like not a thing I enjoy." And I and I and I feel like there are probably people out there who'd be like, "Oh, you guys are soft. You don't know what you're talking." about. We get called soft all the time. But for me, like. If you're supposed to be singing a song supporting your club or supporting a player, the player should ideally enjoy that song and want it to be sung as opposed to so many of them are problematic in various ways. So hopefully that is changing a little bit. But I think that is an important distinction to draw, that even if yeah. it's about a player and supporting them, it can still have those those negative overtones. And I was going to mention to you, Taylor, I thought that negative chanting and you know this kind of unpleasant behavior was what set European soccer apart from the US. And then I suddenly thought of... The problematic chant that is sung on uh, on the North American continent uh, when a goalkeeper is lining up to take a kick. Yeah, I mean that's that that would be our uh, certain L tree fans. I, I think uh, U.S. fans definitely not in favor of that yeah. chant. But yeah, I mean, and that's that's one that as much as FIFA and Concacaf and the Mexican FA say they they are taking seriously and dealing with. Like it happened, I think, uh, multiple times in the Gold Cup before that that warning was issued, and it's supposed to be the three step process. But yeah, it's still it definitely 
exists and not just in Mexico here in the U.S. There's plenty of aggressive chants and uh, angry rivalries that manifest as uh, negative lyrics. But I I do think, Ryan, overall, your idea is probably accurate because I also think that when you don't have the sometimes history can be a bonus and sometimes it can be baggage. And when you don't have the kind of long lineage of what this song means and what it relates to and the sectarian differences ingrained in the song, it leaves you open to using Biggie instead of Barry Manilow or using, I don't know, like uh, the Dead Kennedys instead of Jerry and the Pacemakers. Like, I think there is something to be said for American songs having, I think, more modernity to them because like soccer in this country is more modern. It's a, it's a newer thing than it is pretty much anywhere else. And so I think the songs and the chants probably reflect that a bit. That concept, by the way, Taylor, of not necessarily ha- having the weight of things, the political weight of things mm-hmm. behind the things in, in, in North American chants. That reminds me of the fact that you go to a bar in North America and you can order an Irish car bomb. And right. you, would, wow. you would definitely okay. not do that in London. You would not do that when <laughs> nope. I grew up. And that was very much a thing you were scared of every day. You would not and- be ordering that. Dude, and it's and it's really strange to me because like there's that one which is obvious, but then other little differences like a black and tan is also not a thing I feel like people should be ordering because my understanding of history is Wait, that hold on, th- hold on. How, I've there never heard go. these are drinks names in in America. Yes. yes. <laughs> wow. And this this gets to I think weirdly it connects to like one of the main things I wanted to mention which is just that the if you don't know the history of a song or you don't know the lyrics of a song because it's sung in a foreign language, I have priors with both of those, you can put yourselves in awkward situations. And it's just a good reminder that if there's a thing that seems like it might be offensive, basically anything that has a description that is rooted in an ethnicity or a religion, it's going to be offensive and you can know that. But yeah, people at bars order black and tans, which is what the uniforms of the pro-monarchy troops is that what it was during the troubles yeah 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 and see how ryan and graham both kind of get a little bit quieter there this is what i'm talking about that is the thing where as an american it's like yeah you guys want to talk about that and people who lived it will say no thank you and please don't order that beverage Taylor, uh, to stake easily into the (laughs) idea of you uh, chanting in the US and Uh songs in the US and in US soccer culture. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it goes a lot beyond USA, 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 doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, watching Charlotte FC evolve, uh, as I have been doing, um, doing a little bit of work for them, and there's they uh, the, the the fans have like a Slack channel where they have a chant section. And they're all writing them and pitching them to each other. And that's how many Wimbledon chants evolved over the years as well, like on forums. Mm. People saying, let's try this one in the next game, that kind of thing, which is cool. So Charlotte's going to have to the Saints marching in. We've got beer, banks and soccer. I say Charlotte is wonderful, that kind of thing. And I was pleased to see that the Columbus crew sing Can't Help Falling in Love, Elvis Presley, because AS Wimbledon sing that too. Oh, kindred spirits. But um, your, your thoughts, Taylor, on... The, the, uh, the culture of singing at games in the US and also capos and having, having, having them led, having song sheets and the, the, pres- the prescriptive nature occasionally mm-hmm. of these things. I, I think I understand why Europeans or people who lived in Europe and then were exposed to American supporter culture would be confused and honestly find it to be a bit artificial. I honestly do get that, but I also understand why it it is the way it is over here because you don't have that same focus on chanting and singing and standing and being an active participant in the games. You have the outliers here, like uh, Texas A&M, we talked about this recently, have the, the 12th man and the idea that the crowd itself is part of the team. And that is... 
it stands out as like that being a Texas A&M thing because I don't think it becomes ingrained and everybody talks about the 12th man. But fundamentally, there isn't this idea that everybody's got to be, you know, singing and losing their minds to pick up that atmosphere. And and how often you would get, at least when I was growing up, people being annoyed that people were standing and blocking the view. And, hey, let's all sit down until something happens. And like the old kickers coach would talk about because he was initially a player in 1993. He would talk about crowds used to cheer when the ball was kicked long because it was like, ooh, what a big kick. And and how the kind of understanding of the game has evolved and the, the crowd support has evolved with it. But I think if you're still coming from a background of a guy, you go to the a game and you sit in your seat and then you cheer when a big thing happens. And aside from that, you eat your hot dog. You need people to sort of lead that and be those motivators and get people involved. And it's where I think the capos are important and creating that sort of identity is really useful, but then also spreading that identity to the fans. And so I know this isn't like a unique thing to Richmond, but it's my experience with the kickers that they have the little barcode that you can scan that will bring up all the chants. And then you have them right there on your phone. And if you want to sing along, you can. And I think, you kind of need those, like the groups to take the lead and the individual leaders and the capos in those groups to take that lead to then have people follow to establish more of it. Because I do think if you've been to a game where you've got 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people singing and screaming and chanting, like it, it, the atmosphere, it's just, it never stops. And even if the game itself is kind of dull, when you have that intensity on all four corners of the pitch, it's impossible to switch off and it's really hard to just start looking at your phone and check other scores and see what's going on. You're, you're plugged in, you're really into it. And I think there are club uh, clubs in this country that have done a really good job of creating that atmosphere. And I think it does give them a pretty big advantage. Now um, we've spoken a lot on this episode about English language chanting gents. We should, uh, we should turn our attention also to the, the international nature of these chants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, English speaking countries aren't by far uh, not the only places where, um, where chanting happens. I've got, I, I, I found a few. One of my favorites I found was something I found that Dynamo Dresden fans were chanting at uh, Bayern Munich fans to the tune of Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. Uh, it went, Wir sind in Bayern, die Lederhosen aus, die Lederhosen aus. It's, uh, <laughs> it is, we'll pull down the Bayern fans or the Bavarians' yeah. pants is what they were singing. <laughs> we'll pull down your pants. I thought that was wonderful. Um, as perhaps, perhaps, Graham, maybe a more famous example would be, would be Bella Ciao, the Italian folk song, mm -hmm. which was an anti-fascist song used to protest Mussolini and his regime uh, and during the you know, post-World War II, presumably during World War II and the resistance and all that, um, which I was also reading that a Lazio player got in trouble for singing it during his onboarding. You know that tradition of getting stand him on the oh, chair yeah. and have him sing a song when, when he first joins... Uh, the team. He got in trouble because he sang Bella Ciao and the fans were like, dude, we're, we're fascists. You can't be doing that. Yeah, who is that player? Because he's my new favorite player. Yeah, I'll look, I'll, I'll look it up. But it was, uh, that was a story I came across. And um, I mean, that's a troubling thing in itself. I, I don't live that far from the Stadio Olimpico these days. There are fascist statues everywhere around there in the Foro Italico. Anyway, Graham, any <laughs> thoughts on international chants? Yeah, I just looked through some some examples. So I think one South American chant that definitely deserves a mention is, and the kind of generic name it's given to it is is, is Vamos, um, which we all kind of know that the meaning of that is a chant that originated in Peru, originated at Universitario, which is a club in, in Lima, and it's been adapted and adapted by fans all over that, that continent. So it's a song that's chanted by national team fans of uh, Chile, Ecuador, Peru, and in fact... Um, this is a song that was it's heard in South American football to such an extent that there was a 2018 World Cup qualifying match between Peru and Argentina at uh, La, La Bombonera, where Boca Juniors obviously play. 
and both sets of fans were 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 singing it and it was the the, the Peruvians that were leading it and they changed it to to let's go Peruvians and Ar- the Argentinian fans were so upset with how their team were playing that they were the whole stadium was joining in as, as singing let's go let's go Peru um and obviously they they knew the tune because it's something that is just um it's everywhere in, in in South American football and it's a chant that's actually sung by DC United and Orlando City fans as well and it's infiltrated MLS culture in a number of different places and, I, and I'm going to make one more mention and I'm really really bending the rules here on this one because it's not really a chant or a, uh, or, or an anthem it's, a, it's certainly a song but I love it so much it's the uh, the Salaparta which is a percussion performance that takes place at San Mames before athletic club games I always try and catch it and thankfully La Liga TV they tend to kind of they tend to showcase it. It's quite a it's quite a thing. So it's played on it's a song that's played on a big long board, which is struck with two sticks, usually by two men. There's two men standing behind this boards in the sta- in the stands. And it makes this brilliantly atmospheric song and sound. And the history behind it is that it's a Basque tradition that was common back in the day at things like weddings and festivals and weirdly apple harvests which when i was doing my research is apparently like a big communal thing in the basque country so they used this in the early days of the the club to alert the locals that the team was about to play and i just love stuff like that graham fun fact i've seen that performed at the old sam members oh have you really i went to years uh about 2008 i saw athletic club play real zaragoza i had a press pass i was down by the front uh down by the benches and i was chatting with jermaine pennant who's playing for zaragoza fun fact and you didn't get on the field. Anyway, uh, Taylor, Taylor <laughs> yeah. do you have any favorite um, international chants you wanted to Yeah, uh, Horto Magico from Panathinaikos is the one that I, I think caught fire. The Magical Weed, I believe it is. Uh, and that one spread around the world and is sung all over the place. That that was a big one that, that seems to have caught fire. The other one that like stands out to me, I know it from Galatasaray, but it's the one that goes like, la 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 la, oh, Jim bom bom, but you'll hear it everywhere usually yeah. germany you'll hear it in the background but because it's like any four syllables basically so you hear it as like la 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 bayern munich like you'll hear it in the bundesliga a lot and that one seems to be one that you can make into whatever you need it to be and it's very simple and people catch on really fast but that one seems to have spread across a couple different continents and is there any more you could speak to taylor about your time in istanbul and the kind oh, yeah. of chanting you would hear was it was it aggressive was there some fun stuff yeah, there was a few of them. Uh, my favorite remains that Galatasaray's uh, post-goal celebratory song is I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Uh, and it's, it really is like, I think it's like a, a more disco-y version of it, but it's still, I guess that it's in and of itself is disco, but it's more of a like pop one. Uh, but yes, they have, I, I, I shared a few on Twitter, or maybe I'll put one into this episode. There's some really, really, really great ones and they're very involved but then you do run into this is one of the moments when I was like chanting along, not understanding. And the gist of it, I can't remember the actual lyrics, but it was along the lines of them saying like Yabanji Hayer over and over and over again, which was like I was singing along. And then I asked somebody what it meant. And it meant no foreigners because they didn't want like some sighting who was not from Turkey. Huh. Uh, and so an American in Turkey chanting no to foreigners is probably not <laughs> the look that you need. So that is where I'm saying that maybe make sure that you know what you're chanting. But there's. There's a few, and there's one that when Galatasaray won the title when we lived there that I, I happened to know. And the supporters, uh, like group that was in our neighborhood that was particularly raucous was so excited that I knew that song that they gave me a scarf and I found out years later, actually not even years later, just like a day later that it was the, uh, communist supporters group of Galatasaray. So it's this, 
amazing. It has like Hakan Shuker and Che Guevara on it, both of them wearing Galatasaray kits, and it's, wow. and it's phenomenal. So yes, I think if you learn the appropriate songs, then you can get uh, super cool scarves. That's how it works. Thank you, Conrad Rockwell, for, um, <laughs> for uh, explaining that one for us. Um, I'd, like to, <laughs> I'd like to um, finish, up the, finish up this episode by maybe talking about some of our favorite chants, our very favorite mm. chants. And to me, I think it's always the impromptu ones that get me, the ones that have just come out of a situation. Um, like, do you remember when Jason Punchin came onto the field late for a game and there were chances yes. to, to the reasons as to why he came onto the field late and to maybe what he was doing that delayed his entrance? Things like that very much amuse me. I think my very favorite one is from 2013 at Anfield and John Joe Shelby is warming up on the sidelines. There's videos of this on YouTube. And they're singing, uh, the Liverpool fans, home fans are singing, he's coming for you, he's coming for you, Harry Potter, he's coming for you. <laughs> because he looks a bit like Voldemort. And John Joe Shelby, he, he actually quite loves it. You can see him chucking along and he gives him a clap for it. And that's just, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it had the potential yeah. to be mean-spirited, but it was taken well. And I thought that was really, really fun, Graham. Yeah, and along, along the same sort of lines, my, my favourite... Um, one that reacting to a situation was Taylor. You'll remember when Rio Ferdinand was banned for missing a, a drugs test when he I was at, when uh, he was a Manchester Excuse me, he was in the mall and his phone didn't go off, so he didn't know he was supposed to. I don't know what you're talking about, Graham. This yeah, is yeah, totally who are you, his lawyer. <laughs> oh boy. Anyway, yeah. So Rio Ferdinand is banned for a, a, what was it, eight nine months? It was quite a long time, wasn't it? Unfairly. Um, unfairly. And he, so, mine had play West Ham. And he's obviously missing for that game in West Ham. Are his are his his former club West mm-hmm. fans? Uh, West Ham fans sing. His name is Rio, and he watches from the stand. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice, which is incredible. That is genuinely funny. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I did not know that one. That is amazing. And that is, that is like the, when they're clever, and I think that's what I was like trying to speak to with the Rafa Benitez one, which isn't really clever, but when it's the fans collectively, when it's a group of people collectively just being sarcastic or tongue in cheek, I think that's when I, when I get really happy. So like there was, like whenever a big club has a downturn in form, like when Chelsea, uh, before they sacked Mourinho for the second time, they won a game. And I remember the Chelsea fans, they scored a goal and the Chelsea fans started chanting like, we are staying up. Like w- when those moments happen, when it's it's just like cleverly commenting on your own situation or maybe cleverly commenting on your opponent's situation. I think those are my favorite ones. Yeah. The other, the other one I, I have to mention, given our, our previous discussions mm-hmm. about uh, Scot- Scottish cuisine is that when Scotland played Italy in, when would that be? 2006, 2007, we played them in Bari. I remember the stadium that we played them in. It was a strange stadium. Anyway, it was a World Cup qualifier. And I remember laughing, because I could hear it on the TV, Scotland fans in Italy singing, deep fry your pizzas. We're going to deep fry your pizzas. <laughs> what is that chant? What is that song? Like, so that's, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's um, Slip John B, isn't it? That's the, the thing that I put in our group chat. That's oh, where that it? comes from. Yeah. It's just a slightly adapted version huh. of that. So Learn something And we day. did deep fry their pizzas. And you continue uh, to do so. Yeah. I, I really enjoy uh, call and response ones as well. And there's one, that was the one I shared on Twitter, that like, uh, it's it's really great when you have the entire stadium. And then with Galatasaray, they would do it where like, each part of the stadium was responsible for a different lyric. So it wasn't just one side doing it back and forth. You'd have 
like the sideline and then the other sideline and then one touchline and then the other touchline. And it would sort of reverberate like that again. So you have to be on your toes for the whole game because if you switch off, then your side isn't singing their part. Um, that is always really great to me to hear that sort of back and forth and the the like slowness of it. Um, I do also want to ask you all if you if we're looking for a fan group to be like the model for how to be like to sing important songs when they're right, but then also to sing funny and clever songs. Would the Irish at any international competition be the the fans to point to? Possibly. I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to think of some examples. Because Fields uh, of Athenry is always the one I will go to when they're playing Spain and the entire stadium is singing that one. But then I think of the stuff from the last Euros where they, I think like somebody had dented a car while they were celebrating a game and then they were singing like Fix the Car for the Boys in Green. Oh, and I do remember just that. All those, yeah. They just always seem to be the most like, I don't know. We're we're out to have fun, not to be angry about football. And I think that's that is fundamental to a good uh, supporter culture. Yeah, I remember. I remember Northern Ireland at the last. Um, I know you were probably talking about Republic of Ireland there. Yeah, but Northern, Northern Ireland at the last Euros were very good fun with a lot of their chants. Obviously, the the Will Grigg one, which I I don't think actually that was their chant. I think that was Wigan fans that came up with that one first. But they yeah. they kind of adopted it and brought it to the mainstream, and and they were they were very good fun. They seemed like they had a good chant in them. They did indeed. I like, um, what, I like- I have- Oh, sorry, Ryan. I was going to say the the last thing for me was that a thing. It's not even a chant. It's just a thing that I always really enjoy is what the the crowd, what the crowd says in response to a goal tells you a lot about where the game is being played, because certainly in the United States and in England, everybody says yes or yeah. And so you can hear a group of people all going, yeah, like it goes up. Whereas in Turkey, they would say goal which is automatically going to make it go down. And that's where you get that like, like when people score versus the high pitched one, uh, Germany, I think they say tour. So it's somewhere in between, but hearing Mm -hmm. what is said when the goal goes in also tells you a lot about where the game is being played. But I think those differences are also pretty fascinating. They are indeed. And I think, some of my my um, my favourite chants, and Graham mentioned one of them earlier, are those ones that breach international borders but don't have lyrics, like Seven Nation Army, and the way that spread uh, was just absolutely fascinating. I think, and it's such a it's such a great perfect chant for like international tournaments and stuff. And the other one I think is um, the Viking thunderclap. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. The the thing that oh, yeah, Iceland yeah. sort of brought to Euro twenty sixteen, and we saw lots of clubs sort of tr- or teams trying to do it afterwards, but not quite catching on. But that yeah. that that you know the, the the atmosphere that generates within a stadium when the fans were doing that it just looked absolutely incredible Graham yeah yeah absolutely the 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 Icelandic one is is a good one I'd actually kind of I hadn't forgotten about it but in this discussion I'd I'd forgotten about it and and yeah when you have a, a whole I guess when you have that kind of choreography as well I'm sure I've seen my memory's failing me here, but I'm sure I've seen like one side of the stadium was, is this what you're talking about with Galatasaray Taylor? Like one side kind of responding to the other side and yeah. sections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's super, super impressive when you see that. It's, it's, like it's I think the, the Viking clap lost a little bit of the steam for me. And I'm guessing maybe that's why you didn't remember it, Graham, because it was so good when the Icelandic team did it. Cause they had that one section of fans and they were all perfect, like perfectly in unison but it's such a specific thing that, like, if you're just taking a melody and changing the lyrics, that's one thing. But when you're stealing all the mannerisms or borrowing, I guess, all the ma- – like, so I've seen other people do that, other clubs, other national teams. I think the U.S. has done it for a couple games. And it always just rings a little hollow to me because it's 
Like that just feels like no, that should just stay with Iceland. That, that maybe that's just me being like a prude. I don't yeah. know, but also I'm not the biggest fan of. I believe that we will win. So maybe I'm uh, maybe I'm just being what, a, a stick in the mud across the board. What about fight and win from the the Seattle? So have you seen that one? <laughs> I don't know if I have. The guy at CenturyLink Field or whatever it's called now, Lumen Field, going fight. And when? <laughs> I feel nah, like I'm that's an if similar... you doing it, Graham, I'd be more into it. <laughs> I feel like it's a similar category of uh, to uh, I believe we will win. <laughs> uh, so, Graham, like the one uh, here, I have I, I have the lyrics for you. So it would be Jim uh, Bum 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 Benim, and then the other side of the stadium would say Birajik Sevgilem, and so it's like this big. But you have to Turkish is I think like a lot of the words you speak with like the lower part of your throat, so it becomes this sort of booming like Solis and Dembashka. Like, it's this very deep thing that when you have the whole stadium doing that I back and that. forth, it gets very loud and very booming. That's like ASMR. That was wonderful, Taylor. Can you do that again? <laughs> uh, the, I, can, I can do the whole song if you want, but I don't want to go too far with it. Yeah, uh, and was that my 90s Euro pop song, Taylor, as well? <laughs> I try. I try. <laughs> yeah where did that finish in eurovision uh it was near the top i think man i i love me some eurovision i would happily do an episode where we just broke down eurovision if you all were into that one my uh my guilty pleasure <laughs> and the secret the, the secret the that tells me things the secret that i'll take to my gr- no i'm gonna i'm going to agree with you the, see eurovision you night on, t- on social media is one of my uh-huh. favorite nights yep. of the whole year it's yep. so much fun yeah. <laughs> all right i feel we should stop now Seeing as we've got this conversation. Uh, also, my laptop's on 4% battery. This is there a good go. time to stop. A listener, I hope you've learned something about songs and chants and their origins and our faves. Uh, let us know what you think. For now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much. Uh, you've been wonderful. As have you all. This has been great. Uh, Ryan, I did not think I would, I would sing when we began this one. I was going to leave that one to you all. But, uh, but there it is at the end. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything else. I'm glad we got it out of you. And Graham Russell, I'm glad to hear your dulcet tones on this episode too. Cheerio, cheerio, cheerio. <laughs> cheerio Bye, right. Cheerio, cheerio.